Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are talking about 1997's Copland and I'm joined for this very special episode making his debut at F This Movie, Mr. Anthony King. Hey Anthony, how are you? Don't shut me out, Patrick. <laughs> I would never, I would never. <laughs> Um, Anthony, you are something of a cop movie expert, having formerly hosted the podcast Neon Badges, uh, which, if I'm talking out of school, I apologize, but that, that show has been retired, correct? That show has been retired, that is right. Well, I'm sorry to see it go. I was fortunate enough to be a guest on one episode and had a really good time talking about cop movies with you, but you have started a new podcast venture, yes? Yep, uh... I'm recording, uh, starting to record episodes here soon, and um, but uh, it's all based off of Danny Perry's cult movie books, um, and so you know, just talking about weird older movies. Okay, very nice. And what's the format of that show going to be? Is it like one movie per show, or is it kind of a theme kind of a thing? Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I have the guest pick a movie from one of Danny's books and then uh, tell the guest to then go ahead and pick three more movies uh, um, that you would pair with the movie from the books. Okay. Oh, very cool. So that's kind of in keeping with the column that Anthony writes at F This Movie, which is called Two for One. Hopefully you guys have been reading it at fthismovie.com where Anthony picks... Uh, he programs double features and most recently did a double feature of I Married a Witch and Moonstruck, which I really enjoyed. Erica and I just watched I Married a Witch like two or three weeks ago. And I had seen it once before, but I didn't remember it that well. And we both really loved it. Yeah, it's a it's a cute little movie. And I, I don't know. Uh, Moonstruck is like top three all time for me. And for some reason when, when I thought, okay, I, I want to double something with Moonstruck. I married a witch was the first thing that came to mind. Um, and I don't know why, but I was like, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to pair these two. And, uh, you know, kind of BS my way through you know, <laughs> it works. Uh, magical love or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when, when I watched them together, they, I mean, they worked so well together. Yeah. So, it, you know, it works. All right, so you opened the door, so now I have to go through it. You said Moonstruck is top three. What are the other two? Uh, when Harry Met Sally okay. is my all-time favorite movie. Okay, that's a good one. And then uh, Spotlight is number two. Oh, that's kind of heavy for a favorite movie. <laughs> it's, it is super heavy, um, but it it kind of goes back to... I remember the first time I saw it was at a pre-screening when I was in New York City visiting my brother. And um, it, it was just, it was a, I don't know, a, it's just a good memory of being in New York City. And then we see this movie and then have, we had this great conversation afterwards because my sister-in-law is from the Boston area and her parents were involved in that whole scandal and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but for some reason... It just it's one of those movies that I can watch honestly like half a dozen times a year and it is it's not like a pleasant subject <laughs> uh, but you know I think the God the performances are out of this world of course 
Yeah, it's super good and, and as you point out, super watchable, which is unusual for a movie dealing with that subject matter, but it's just such a a well-done kind of procedural with such good performances and such sharp writing. It's really... I rewatched it, I don't know, maybe a year ago, which and that was my first time seeing it since the theater, but it was like... It's really, really strong. Yeah, yeah. Gr- really great movie. All right, so... Uh, since we're talking about stuff we've been watching, let me ask you, Anthony, have you seen anything good lately? I have seen uh, some movies lately. I had a, a kind of a hard time. I was like, let's see, I haven't loved anything I've seen lately, but um, I've got a handful I can talk about here. All right. Um, I just got the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome of Cemetery of Terror from 1985, directed by uh, uh, Ruben Galindo Jr., and it's uh, it stars Hugo Siglitz from um, Night of a Thousand Cats fame. Yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, imagine if Lucio Fulci directed Halloween, you would get Cemetery of Terror. Oh, you just sold me on it. Yeah, it's. I mean, you would love it. <laughs> you would love it, honestly. Um, and you know, it's a slasher, zombie, uh, satanic possession hybrid type of movie um but it's you know really good it's another you know like vinegar syndrome does uh you're watching one of these movies thinking my god they put so much work into this Mm -hmm, fucking thing mm -hmm. like (laughs) why (laughs) but i'm glad you know i'm 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 super happy to own it now i'm trying to be better about like vinegar syndrome is probably the worst offender for me in terms of like i want to see that movie and the only way to see it is to blind buy it from Vinegar Syndrome. And so it's like a $20 blind buy, but they release four to five titles a month. So it becomes a very expensive habit. So I'm trying to be better about being a little more choosy and only shop during the sale. So my Black Friday sales are, or halfway to Black Friday sales are always like these enormous orders. But um, I'm trying to kind of cull the the movies that i order from them but this may have just shot to the top of the list yeah i i could not recommend it highly enough uh you you know brian's going through he's doing a vinegar syndrome month on just the discs right now i saw that yeah. and um on his on the first episode of the month he talked with brad henderson uh who does acquisitions for vinegar syndrome and brad was saying the exact same thing that uh, you know you have to how do you sell people on movies they've never heard of? Um, you know, and most of the time everybody's just kind of blind buying. And so you have to think of a good pitch, you know, an elevator pitch to sell these people, especially when you're at a convention or whatever. And he's out at the table, you know, hawking these discs, you know, you have to have these good pitches to sell these people. Um, and I mean, even the vinegar syndrome guys know exactly what you're talking about, Patrick, you know, like, we're we're guessing what we're buying you know yeah right and weirdly enough it's always you know if you go to their site they have like stills from each of the movies as you 
go to each title and they always put the most like salacious stills. So it's always the most violent moments or the moments of nudity or whatever. And so you look at the stills and you're like, well, I have to see this movie. And it turns out that's always the best stuff in the movie and the rest of it. A lot of times it's kind of a drag, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've definitely but discovered like some really, really like fantastic gems from, uh, through their company. So I have nothing but positive things to say about vinegar syndrome. Oh, for sure. I love those guys. And, uh, this is the first time I actually blind bought, uh, you know, one of the new releases, like pre-ordered something. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually wait for you or Brian <laughs> or or Elric, you know, to like pitch me right. on you need this disc. So, right. Uh, but but you know, I I was happy with this purchase. So, All right. Uh, de- definitely recommend Cemetery of Terror. Uh, going back to now, even though I'm done with Neon Badges, uh, the podcast. The whole goal of of starting it from the very, very beginning was writing a Danny Perry-esque book on 80s cop movies. And so I have this, you know, 100-plus list of cop movies from the 80s um, that, uh, you know, I, I kind of like to go through and check off. Oh, I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. And uh, I finally saw Alien Nation from 1988 with uh, Mandy Patinkin and James Caan. Yeah. And uh, they just put it on Prime. So as of this recording, it's on Amazon Prime. But uh, it is... I was about 30 minutes into the movie and I realized uh, this movie is the cause of so many nightmares uh, when I was a child. Because Mandy Patinkin and the makeup, of course, the makeup is so great how they there's, you know, they stretch the face and then they have that kind of elongated head with the weird liver spots all over it. And uh, I realized I had seen this when I was a little kid, probably at my grandma's house (laughs) and had nightmares for weeks about these (laughs) damn aliens. Uh, And it all came rushing back to me. Uh, Nevertheless. It's a pretty good fucking movie. Uh, It's really entertaining. Uh, James Caan, of course, is fabulous. So funny. Um, Mandy Patinkin, you know, he's he's playing this alien straight. And, and, you know, directors always ask, uh, no matter the dialogue, they always tell their their actors, okay, play this straight and it'll, you know, get the laughs more, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But it is very funny. It's so funny, way funnier than I thought it was going to be. Um, but I really, really, really enjoyed it. I'm excited to hear that it's on prime because I don't think I've seen it since it first hit VHS. I remember an alien splashing around in water a lot. And I remember that they drink spoiled milk. Those are like the two things that I remember from the movie. And I don't remember anything else. I know it was a TV show on Fox for a number of years too, but I never watched the show. I never watched the show because I of this movie because it scared me so much. <laughs> and I remember having when I was a kid I would have these horrible night terrors. And so my dad would come into my room and he'd he'd take me out to the living room and to slow cuz you know they they tell us parents that okay if you're if your child is having a night terror don't wake him up immediately, you know, try, you know gradually get him out of there whether that's a myth or whatever. I don't know. But so what my dad would do, he'd take me out to the living room and he would uh, go through our little 13 inch black and white TV and flip through the channels and have me describe what was on the TV. 
And uh, I remember one night coming across Alien Nation, the TV show, and like just freaking out. <laughs> so I was like, that's what I was just dreaming of. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh bad timing bad timing yeah. that <laughs> thanks a lot dad yeah right um uh okay so i don't watch a lot of newer movies um but i knew i was gonna come on f this movie and i was like well they always talk about new movies so i watched a newer movie that came out this summer uh yes god yes oh okay uh, starring uh, uh, Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things, and uh, it is super awkward. <laughs> I was like squirming in my chair the whole time. Again, it was one of those things. You knew the director uh, told these young adults, "Okay, just play this material as straight as possible." And she's Natalia Dyer plays this girl who goes away to this super religious like weekend retreat thing. And there's a rumor going around school that <laughs> she she tossed some guy's salad. That's the premise of this movie. <laughs> I know Rob wrote a review of it and I read the review, but I don't think he mentioned salad tossing anywhere in the review. He buried the lead a little bit. <laughs> And, you know, you would expect something like, oh, this girl blew this guy or like, you know, she slept with him or whatever. But no, they go straight for salad tossing. <laughs> and so the whole movie, she's trying to figure out what is tossing someone's salad means. <laughs> and she ends up <laughs> learning what it means oh after she escapes uh, this this weekend retreat and ends up at a lesbian bar. I won't explain everything that happens before and after, but uh, there are some truly hysterical moments in it. But personally, it was just it was so awkward. Uh, I was squirming most of the time. And and uh, I mean, you know, I sat through the whole thing. Uh, but, I, you know, I think um, I don't know, you know, if you dig John Waters movies, you might like this. It's not as raunchy as a John Waters movie, but it's kind of that type of humor. Ricky Bates Jr., you know. Okay, very nice. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan so, of both of them. Yeah, so you might you might dig it. Um, and she's great, you know. I'm glad. Um, I'm always happy to see her um, in stuff. Natalia Dyer, I think she's so good. And she's she is very, very good in this. And that's streaming on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's a Netflix original movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then uh, two more uh, I'll, I'll pair together real quick here. Uh, since we're talking about a James Mangold movie tonight, I went and I always like to to watch the movie. You know, if I'm going to talk about or write about a movie, I like to watch the movie this director made before and the one after mm -hmm. to see kind of where, you know, he or she came from and where they're going. So I watched uh, Mangold's Heavy from 1995, and then I watched uh, Girl Interrupted from 99. Now, I'd never seen Heavy before, and it is, uh, the title is apt, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's slow as molasses, and it is, um, you know, it's about Taylor Pruitt Vince, who seems to be a mangled, uh, you know, part of his crew. Um, but Taylor Pruitt Vince plays this weird, kind of very quiet cook at his mom's diner his mom played by Shelley Winters. Um, 
And Liv Tyler is this new girl in town who, you know, becomes a waitress and Taylor Pruitt Vince has a crush on her. And, you know, it's not a lot happens. Um, it's kind of a slice of life type of movie. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's good uh, for a first film. It is extremely it's an extremely strong outing for James Mangold. He wrote and directed it. It's, uh, you know, it having this as your first film is is pretty awesome. I remember going to see it theatrically, um, specifically because Liv Tyler was in it, and this was, like, at one, uh, near the peak of my Liv Tyler crush. That would officially peak with, like, that thing you do, but I was a big Liv Tyler fan. So I remember going to see heavy and I remember it being very slow. I remember Pruitt Taylor Vince's eyes moving a lot. Um, I remember Evan Dando showing up in it and I was like, Evan Dando, you're not an actor, but here you are in this movie. And I don't remember him being bad. I don't, I don't think I've seen the movie since then. So the last time I saw this was 25 years ago, but I, I liked it at the time. And again, we'll, we'll get into it when we start talking about Copland, but, um, I'm a big fan of like this whole, like that nineties thing where directors made an indie and then they would jump to a studio movie and Copland is very much the, yes. the desperado, the mall rats, the grace of my heart, like the, the jump to the studio movie. Um, so that's really cool that you went back and watched heavy. I definitely need to go back and revisit that one. Well, the cool thing is that, it, so I, I had found it on YouTube and I, I don't know if there's a DVD or certainly not a Blu-ray of it. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I, if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you know, normally I post everything that I watch. Um, and so I, I posted, you know, just now watching James Mangold's heavy and he obviously has some sort of alert, uh, for when his name comes up. And so he replied to me saying, um, you know, thanks for watching. It's coming back to Netflix soon. So oh, cool. look for it on, look for it on Netflix soon, which is nice to hear. I like that you have the inside scoop. Right, right from the director. Breaking news. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then, real quick, breaking or um, girl interrupted. Uh, I was a senior in high school when this came out, and my one of my best girlfriends, Bridget, was obsessed with this movie. We, you know, we'd always hang out at her house, and she'd make us sit down and watch it over and over and over again and then we uh dance to squirrel nut zippers and it was you know even <laughs> oh, then the i was super embarrassed for my life <laughs> um but uh, having not watched it since then i can tell you that girl interrupted uh was not made for a 38 year old man okay uh, um it, you know i know a lot of people love it but Oh man, you know, it's it's a real slog, I think. It is so bloated. And I I came to realize James Mangold doesn't make 88-minute movies. You know, he makes uh hour 50, right. 2 hours, right. 215. Uh but, you know, the you know, I there was <laughs> one of uh uh what's her name? Winona Ryder's uh closing lines. She says uh what did she say? They were not perfect, but they were my friends, and I could not have rolled my eyes any harder at that line. 
I, that's another one that I haven't seen in a long time, and I remember really liking it until we get to a sequence of, like, it turns into a slasher movie with Angelina Jolie, like, chasing her around a boiler room. I think my memory of this is completely wrong, but this is... No, you, it, it's super weird. And and here, here's the funny thing. Like, I would love to see a James Mangold horror movie, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that uh, in Copland, but, like, in Heavy, I didn't know if I was if this was going to end up being a, a horror movie as well, um, because there are some like, I mean, dread inducing sequences in that, but it's like Mangold kind of squeezed in his, and this is ba- girl interrupted, of course, is based on a memoir. Uh, but he squeezes in like this, you know, Freddy Krueger in the boiler room, <laughs> uh, slasher moment with Angelina, like when all the girls are downstairs and it is super weird. And you know, it, it was hard for me just to sit and watch and take the movie in as is instead of sitting there and saying, oh, you could have taken this out. You could have taken, you know, you could have easily, you know, shorn off 20 minutes of yeah. this thing. Um, it's also worth revisiting. I think now, if only to see so many members of the cast, because I remember Elizabeth Moss oh. shows up, Angela Bettis, Clea Duvall. I mean, a lot of the supporting roles are from actors who would go on to have these big careers, in addition to the stars like the Angelina Jolie and the Winona Ryder and the Whoopi Goldberg, um, which is kind of true of Copland also. Copland is one of those movies where every corner of the frame you look, it's like, oh, and there's so-and-so, and look who just right. showed up, and why is <laughs> Debbie Harry tending bar? Um, so he's got some casting director. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it is, you know, and, and I was thinking, man, uh, this was definitely the year that I fell in love with Angelina Jolie between this and Pushing Tin, which is not a great movie, but you know, I, I was a huge Cusack fan. And so I had to see everything he was in. Um, but you know, between those two movies, I was like, Oh my gosh, I think this is the woman of my dreams. <laughs> um, and she, you know, I mean, personally, I think her, she won the Oscar, right? For yeah, supporting? she sure did. Yeah. I, you know, I, as far as, you know, I'm concerned, she's, she deserves that. It's a great. Performance. Yeah. Um, and that, so is that it for what you've been watching lately? That's it for me. All right. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of movies. I don't mean to minimize it by saying, so is that all? <laughs> you know, you just talked about like six <laughs> movies. Uh, I know. Well, there's too many for this, I think. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, again, some people, this is their favorite part of the show. Some people are like, why are you talking about movies other than what you advertise? It's like, well, you can't please everybody. So... Um, I've got a couple newer movies that I'll talk about. Uh, um, I finally was able to see Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, which was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. A, because it's a new Brandon Cronenberg movie, and B, because so many people had talked about it as being one of the best movies of the year. Um, It's really interesting and good. I liked it. I don't want to suggest otherwise, but it my inflated expectations, I think, played a part in leaving me a little bit disappointed is too strong a word, but underwhelmed, maybe, because, again, I was expecting it to be my favorite movie of 2020, and it's not. And that's completely unfair. That's a completely unfair expectation to place on the movie. Um, Andrea Riseborough plays basically an assassin who enters the bodies of... um people 
and takes them over through some kind of barely explained technology. And then that person, you know, does the hit and then she jumps out of their body, basically. So that's where the title comes from. Um, and eventually she takes over the body of Christopher Abbott from Girls. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't go as easily as she was hoping. That's kind of the premise of the movie. Um, very violent, very trippy at times. Really, really, I think, worth seeing. And again, shows Brandon Cronenberg. I was a fan of his first movie which was called antiviral um definitely shows him as a filmmaker of great promise and very worthy of the cronenberg name but hasn't yet made the movie that i'm that i'm completely head over heels in love with interesting yeah see uh you know elric always talking you know he says this is his favorite movie of the year hands down and so many other people are saying that and just like you my expectations are like through the roof and uh, a lot of times, I'd say 98% of the time, you and I line up on our kind of tastes mm-hmm. in films. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I'm glad to hear, because that, that now lowers the bar just a little bit for <laughs> sure. me. Sure. Uh, because, it, it, you know, I'm going to watch it here soon, and uh, my expectations are, or were now, unattainable you know right uh so it's it's good to hear i also like uh man you know seeing christopher abbott kind of embrace uh his you know the play his place in in genre movies Mm -hmm. and being okay with that you know what was the shoot now i have to look it up i'm sorry i was gonna ask if you had seen this movie that he's in with john bernthal uh that i saw as part of a festival and it never really got much of a release. Um, it's called Sweet Virginia. Did you ever see Sweet Virginia? I did not. It's very much worth your time. Um, okay. I won't even necessarily describe the premise, but it's it's really good. It has a really good – I mean, I'm a John Bernthal fan just in general, sure. but uh, a really good John Bernthal performance and a really good Christopher Abbott performance as kind of the – He's kind of the bad guy of the movie. Um, cool. But check it out if you can. It used yeah. to be streaming. Um, I'm looking up to see if it's streaming anymore. Sweet. It helps if I spell it right. Um, well, and like, you know, uh, I just started piercing and then ended up getting interrupted. But, you know, uh, with Christopher Rabbit being in Pesky's Piercing. Yeah. Uh, I could, I mean, ten minutes in, I could already tell. Oh, this is this is going to be sweet. Yeah, uh, Sweet Virginia is streaming on Netflix, so oh, check it out hi. there. Nice. Um, I saw the new Sofia Coppola movie, which is streaming on Apple Plus or Apple TV Plus, rather. It's called On the Rocks. It stars Rashida Jones as a woman who's afraid that her husband, played by Marlon Wayans, may be cheating on her. And she kind of enlists, or rather is enlisted by her dad, played by Bill Murray, of course, because it's so, it's a Sophia Coppola movie, <laughs> um, to to further investigate. Um, I mean, I'm a Sophia Coppola fan. There's stuff in the movie that I really liked. Obviously, I really liked the Bill Murray performance, even though he's kind of coasting on being Bill Murray. I liked the autobiographical stuff about her and her dad what it has to say about like 
marriage comes straight out of like a 1990s sitcom. All the yeah, all the relationship stuff I thought didn't work. The most interesting stuff is the stuff between her and Bill Murray. Um, so it's like a half recommend. Tell me about Jenny Slate. I see she's in it. Jenny Slate is very funny playing just – it's a bit part. Every time they cut back to Rashida Jones at her daughter's school, she's sort of being accosted by Jenny Slate, <laughs> monologuing about this married guy that she's been seeing. Okay. Uh, and it kind of becomes a running joke, but she's okay. really great, obviously, at playing that kind of a part. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I'm worried about – I mean – I, I don't know anyone who doesn't love Bill Murray, but I'm worried, like you said, that he's just going to start kind of coasting. You know, he's, what, 70 years old? Um, and, you know, peop, you know, I, I, I just don't want him to come into a, a job and think, you know, this person, this director just wants me to do what I always do. Right. You know, I... You know, kind of like what we're seeing from, you know, Bruce Willis kind of going in. (laughs) Well, can't quite compare Bill Murray to Bruce Willis. (laughs) Of course not. But but again, you know, I mean, maybe from the comedy versus action thriller world, um, you know, I I I would love to see, you know, uh, Bill Murray do something sort of challenging, which I feel like he he was doing maybe in the early, you know, 2010s. Uh, you know, with Broken Flowers. Right. Well, yeah, that's um, when he, like, started working with – in the 2000s is when he kind of starts working with filmmakers like Sofia Coppola and Jim Jarmusch. And he continues to work with them but is a little bit recycling his performances, you know. So when he starts showing up in their movies, you're like, what an interesting use of Bill Murray. This is so exciting. And then by the third or fourth time he's working with them, I'm thinking of like the dead don't die, which he's fine in, but almost anybody could have played that part. It's just requires you to be kind of deadpan and laconic, you know, Right. Uh, which he does very well, but it's like, it feels like an echo of what he was doing in broken flowers. Right. Um, what else did I watch? I watched, uh, an Irish, kind of horror movie called a good woman is hard to find um which is written and directed by abner pastal and stars oh gosh what is the name of the actress she was in emily sarah bolger thank you so much sarah bolger um i'm cheating i have my my imd no you're very quick with it which i appreciate um Sarah Bolger from In America, and more specifically from Emily, plays a woman whose husband was murdered. Uh, She's a mother of two young kids, and one day this, uh, she kind of watches from her window. She sees a guy steal, crash a car, crash into a car, steal something from their trunk, and then he breaks into her house to hide. And suddenly she's kind of caught up in this drug dealer's plot to rip off a mob, you know, Um, all while she's trying to figure out what happened to her husband. And it gets very dark and very violent. Sarah Bolger is really, really great in it, obviously, because she's always really, really great. Um, It's the kind of movie that if it were streaming on, I think it's on like VOD right now, you have to pay to rent it. If it shows up on... Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or something like that, I would absolutely say check it out just for her performance. 
uh, and yeah. just for just how kind of grim and violent it gets. Um, good, not great. Uh, man, this sounds way up my alley, though. This director did he did the uh, the remake of Road Games. He sure did, yeah. <laughs> uh, a movie huh. I saw and don't remember that well. Yeah, well, why why should you? <laughs> uh, God, yeah, Sarah Bolger, my lord. I you know I uh, I remember I watched Emily I think last year, maybe two years ago, and um, God, her performance, boy, yeah. just really sticks with you, right? That's a messed up movie. <laughs> well, you know, as a parent, it I was like, well, I guess it's just grandparents and, and in-laws <laughs> yeah, watching no, my kids for now no on. No more Fuck. babysitters. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he Abner Pestel, I think, remains a filmmaker to watch. I will definitely check out whatever he makes next on the basis of I liked Road Games enough. Sure. Um it had Barbara Crampton in it, so you could always yeah. do worse than a movie that doesn't have Barbara Crampton. Um, <laughs> and uh, and a good woman is hard to find. I think is definitely worth worth seeing. I just don't know that I would recommend that everybody run out and rent it. I think you could wait for it to be streaming or something. Sure, it seems like a movie that that is going to end up on either Prime or Netflix yeah, or Hulu. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of it. So let's get into Copland. Um, when I had asked you to come on the show, you had thrown out a couple of suggestions, some ideas that you had. And one of them was Copland, which at the time I didn't even put together the neon badges connection. I was just like, Oh, Copland, that's a movie I haven't thought about in a long time. Let's revisit that. And then as I was watching it, I was like, wait, Anthony did a whole show on cop movies, of course. Um, so what was it about Copland that made you want to podcast about it? Uh, well, it was, it was next in line for neon badges for my next episode. Oh, no kidding. All right. So this is like the lost neon badges episode. I like this. Sure. Uh, (laughs) and, um, it is probably top 20 of all time for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love this movie. Um, and you know, it, it's one of those that, I mean, when, I don't know. People don't talk about a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and but when you're like, you know, oh, Copland, people are like, oh, fuck, that really is a good movie, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and, you know, I, I, I with the cast alone, I think there's plenty to talk about, you know. Yeah, absolutely. This strikes me as on this rewatch, it was striking me as such like a dad movie like if it wasn't for the language this would be on tnt in constant rotation and all dads across america would be loving it again just because it combines like well there's all these actors from 70s movies and mob movies and the sopranos and i love all of them and it's got rocky in the lead and it's about cops and it's it's a western and it's about doing the right thing you know there's all this stuff that feeds into like this is such a dad movie well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, it it turns into real Bravo, right? right? With uh, Stallone playing John Wayne, and then uh, Ray Liotta playing uh, the the um, Dean Martin, Dean Martin character. Yeah. yeah. Um, and w- which is funny when I was kind of uh, you know doing my research on Copland, real Bravo never came up, and I was thinking, I mean, James Mangold had to have real Bravo in his mind when he was writing this, right? 
I would think certainly past westerns, even if it's something like My Darling Clementine, or you know, if it's Doc Holliday, if if Ray Liotta is sort of the coked up Doc Holliday to Sly Stallone's Wyatt Earp. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like when Copland came out, people didn't really talk about the fact that James Mangold was trying to make a sneaky western. It wasn't until he did like 310 to Yuma where suddenly people were like, oh, he makes really good Westerns. And then when Logan (laughs) came out, everybody talked about it as a Western that that Mangold has been trying to make like John Carpenter. He's been trying to make Westerns basically his entire career. Okay, so imagine maybe I shouldn't bring this up because I could write about it. But imagine. (laughs) uh, Well, I have rules and this this wouldn't fit into the rules. Copland and a. Uh, an assault on precinct 13 double love it right yeah man that would work really really well yeah no absolutely um all the press around the movie in 97 and i think part of why people don't talk about the movie maybe as much as i think they should is because it had the misfortune of coming out in 1997 which is like an astoundingly good year for movies and it just got overshadowed and swallowed up by the likes of titanic and Boogie Nights and Jackie uh, Brown and Goodwill Hunting and uh, you know there's a bunch of good movies that came out in 1997 and at the time I feel like all anybody could talk about was like Stallone is acting he's not playing an action hero he's really giving a performance he gained weight and that's how you know somebody's <laughs> serious about a role <laughs> well you know it it uh, so his his next role after this was Get Carter or there was maybe some bullshit in between but get carter the one before it was you know another macho role uh but here in copland he's kind of going back to the original rocky where you know he's playing you know a human being an emotional character yeah he's good in the movie i think you know there's a lot of like oscar talk um as part of the marketing campaign when the movie came out and i think some of that may have been misguided. I really like him in the movie, but it's like he's doing a lot with silence and sad eyes. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's more in the direction yeah. than the performances. You know, I although I think Leota and De Niro are are at the top of their game here, honestly. Well, let's talk about Robert De Niro, because as I was watching it yesterday, I turned Eric and I said, I feel like and De Niro's always awesome. That's the thing. It's like he's always yeah. great. But I felt a little bit like he picked a haircut and a mustache and he was like, my work is done. Which isn't to say that the the performance is phoned in because he's very good, but the characterization seems to start and stop with the haircut and the mustache. Uh, I Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I think he has these 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 outbursts, the outbursts that he has. You blew it. Um, Are you talking about? Yeah, you blew it. Uh, <laughs> uh, go to lunch. Oh right. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he he's got these. I think, uh, I mean, he he is at his most De Niro, but when he sees uh, uh, Kaitel and you know the guys in in the the mini Mart or whatever. And he goes, he De Niro goes in to get his coffee. Yeah. Um, and he's like, Oh, you know, uh, Kytel's like, yeah, this is Mo, you know, we went to the Academy together and, 
and De Niro's like sucking on his little swizzle stick. <laughs> and, and like, I, I don't know, just, something about that. I'm just like, oh, don't fuck with this guy. <laughs> don't. I mean, this this is this is the De Niro we don't fuck with, right? Right. <laughs> I feel like when I saw this opening night in 1997, I maybe had not yet seen Mean Streets, and had maybe seen Taxi Driver once. Like those movies were not on the forefront of my brain as I watched. De Niro and Harvey Keitel reunited on screen. I don't think I was like, holy shit, these two back together again. Right. Well, th- I mean, lots of Scorsese vibes coming out of this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think um, speaking of Scorsese, I I imagine this is uh, Leota's Henry Hill uh, just continued. This is Henry Hill after he says, I'll fuck Arizona. I'm, I'm going to move. <laughs> I'm moving back to New York. So this is what Henry Hill ends up as. And then I imagine Harvey Keitel, if LT lives at the end of Bad Lieutenant um, and kind of gets his shit together, maybe gets off the junk, uh, this is where LT ends up. He goes and, and lives so this, in Copland. Yeah, this is an extension of LT. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think Mangold, it, it all goes back to the director uh, and the writer being James Mangold. I think he knew exactly who he was working with. He was probably writing for these people and saying, I know they can do this. This is exactly what they do. And, you know, these guys just slide into these roles so easily. Yeah, it's definitely a testament to the quality of the writing and to their belief in him as a filmmaker. Because, again, he's mostly untested at this time. He's made one movie and it's this little indie. Yeah. Um that he's able to get the cast that he gets for this movie. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, everywhere you turn in this movie is some actor that like either was big at the time, is a great character actor. It's just, it's somebody you're happy to see show up in the movie. Right. So, okay. Let let me, let me just run down the IMDB here. Sly, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Peter Berg, playing we assume himself uh janine garofalo what i forgot i i, I want to say she was the reason i went to see this movie in 1997 <laughs> like because i had gotten over Liv tyler and was full on in my janine garofalo oh. obsession um oh girth. and robert patrick robert patrick may be the sneaky mvp of this movie agreed agreed uh michael rapaport as superboy uh, real quick, a side note. So I, I wrote this, uh, the first musical that I wrote um, years ago ha- has a song in it where there's a lyric uh, who ref- the person singing it is referring to this other guy as Superboy. It's totally, it's a callback it's to Copland. It's a Cop reference Land. to Copland, very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's how much I love this movie. Uh, <laughs> Annabelle Sciorra. Um, Noah Emmerich, Kathy Moriarty, who has my all-time favorite line uh, in this movie. Uh, oh, tell Joey Randone, if he does not like my garbage, then he should stop soiling my sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken as only Kathy Moriarty can get away with. I mean, it goes uh, Frank Vincent, John Spencer, Edie Falco, it, Paul Calderon, uh, Debbie Harry, like you said. I mean, it just goes on. There's so many people in this cast. Yeah. And uh, how? Like this is the this is a guy's second movie. How does that happen? 
Uh, yeah, I really think it was just, again, a, a testament to, and I'm sure, you know, once you get Stallone to sign on, it's kind of doing the, this sort of transformation. Um, once you get De Niro in a major supporting part, I'm guessing a lot of the people fall into place and it helps that the movie's shot in New York and New Jersey. So you get all these great East coast actors, half the cast of the Sopranos shows up in this movie <laughs> in supporting roles. Um, sometimes you barely see them. I mean, uh, shoot Robert John Burke like barely you barely catch him he gets maybe one throwaway line it's like RoboCop 3 you're in this movie well (laughs) well okay so uh okay Tony what what, Tony Sirico yeah yeah yeah, Polly Walnuts I don't even think he's it's just his picture in the paper right Yeah, I don't think he shows up in the movie Uh, yeah it's just his picture in the paper yeah I, I was watching I was like you're fucking kidding me. It's him. You know, his character named Toy Torillo. You know, he's he's like the mob boss. But I was like, oh, my God, he gets he gets casting in this. And it's just his picture in a paper. Yeah. Um, Method Man shows up as a as a guy who shakes down oh, Peter Berg. Is that who that was? Yeah. 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 Again, Good. everybody who shows up, Edie Falco is in practically the first scene in the movie, and this is before Edie yep. Falco is really Edie Falco. She doesn't pop until The Sopranos, maybe a year or two later. And she's great, you know? She gets that great, uh, she kind of yells at Stallone, and it's like, oh, she's the only person who could pull this off. <laughs> your balls jump into your throat, don't they? When she... <laughs> well, and and it's it's a great, you know, when it's a good tie-in uh, you know, n- not to really spoil anything, but she doesn't say anything later on, but she does show back up and there's a tie in with her. Um, and so it all kind of comes back, uh, which all makes sense, which is, you know, I, I think great script writing. Um, I will say it was hard to watch the scenes with Annabella Shiora and not because she's bad in the movie, but because this is a Miramax production and I didn't really put it together until I started watching that she was one of the victims of Harvey Weinstein and was sort of blacklisted shortly after this movie came out. And I was like, oh, God, is Copland the movie where all of this shit went down? And I was just feeling so terrible for her Uh, because she's terrific. I mean, she's always great, you know, and she's great in the movie. And again, another alumni of The Sopranos uh, showing up in Copland. But... uh, yeah, it wasn't. I never put it together that it was that it was probably during Copland that a lot of this shit went down. Yeah, it, when you know when when I you know post on social media, I'm watching something. If I if it's a a disc that I own, I'll take a picture of it. And I I realized when I pulled the Copland disc out that it was a Miramax mm-hmm. uh, thing, and I was like, icky, yeah. icky. Yeah. And now the DVD that I was watching advertises itself as the director's cut but i have no idea what the differences are between the director's cut and the theatrical cut me too same this is the version of the movie that i've seen more time you know i saw the theatrical cut the night it opened in 97 every subsequent viewing has been on this dvd so this is the version of the movie that i'm familiar with i don't know what the changes are i think it's a little bit longer but i don't know what the added scenes are yeah yeah yeah. um i have a question for you yeah so um after uh, Superboy, you know, uh, pops the dudes on the bridge on the George Washington Bridge, and um, everybody's at uh, Internal Affairs. 
the uh, paramedic is sitting there and, you know, his he moves his coffee and there's something scratched into the table. It says, yellow betrays blue. Can you explain that to me? I cannot. Okay. Dang it, Patrick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is, I mean, obviously, yellow, blue, like, blue means... Right. Is yellow uh, fire department? Is yellow paramedics? What is yellow? Right. And I, I was thinking yellow, you know, as in, you know you're a chicken you're, right, you're yellow right, right um and blue obviously means cops yeah. but it, I, I still don't get it the other thing i <laughs> somebody listening I, will know exactly what it means and they will tell us in the comments i would love it yes. love it please um the other thing that now i i, I watch you know this is a five-star movie for me i understand it's not technically a five-star movie but i love this movie so much um, the other thing that that I still don't get after maybe the twentieth time I've watched it is <laughs> Ray Liotta's speech about uh, the diagonal uh, yeah. move diagonally. I still don't understand that. I'm with Sly, and you know I'm with Freddie <laughs> in the scene. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about here? Um, no, I kind of understood it. He's saying you don't come at them head on. You make these sideways moves if you want to catch these guys. Oh, why couldn't he just fucking say that? Cause... Well, because it's a speech. He's got to <laughs> he's got to move diagonally as he gives the speech. He can't just give the speech head on. It's a diagonal speech about moving diagonally. See, it's oh. very meta. Ah, yeah, very yeah. meta. There you go. Okay, yeah. very nice. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah, I I think Leota is just fantastic in this movie. He's so good, and he's not. You know, he's what fourth. In billing, maybe, you know, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, he, I mean, I know I said Robert Patrick is like sneaky, the stealer of this movie, but it's, oh, for it's sure. but it's truly Ray Liotta. It's for me, it's, you know, as much as Stallone gets a lot of the glory for giving an actual performance and not just doing action movie posturing as much as De Niro and Harvey Keitel are such heavy hitters. Um, as much as we are all sucked in by the charisma that is Peter Berg, I think it's Ray Liotta's movie. Uh, he's just so, so great again. And, and, you know, it's he's not doing anything different or special or anything, but what Ray Liotta does, he does it so fucking well yeah you know like uh you know going back to neon badges i did an episode on narc which i think is a totally underrated movie super underrated so underrated yeah. underseen yeah um but just learning about uh you know the research i did on ray Liotta for that episode i was blown away just by his character um like ray Liotta as a person um, how much, you know, he gives himself to a role, even if he's not like reinventing the wheel, what he does, he, no one does it better, you know? Yeah, no, he, and this movie, again, given the cast, it really could have turned into just this gigantic dick measuring contest or just oh. a, a movie where everybody's trying to sort of outact one another. And it never really does. Everybody plays to the characters and isn't trying to show anybody else off the screen. Um, but it never, things never light up more than they do when Ray Liotta's on screen. He just has this energy that can't be matched by anybody else in the movie. And some of that is cocaine energy that this character has. <laughs> and some of it is cocaine energy that Ray Liotta has, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, you know, he's there is no one in this movie that I don't like no performance in the movie that I don't like. Mm -hmm. There's so many characters that I hate, uh, which speaks to the performance, you know, uh, Keitel, Robert Patrick, uh, the other, the other guy probably from the Sopranos, right? He was on the Sopranos. He for sure was on Uh, the Sopranos. I know exactly (laughs) who you're talking about. Right. Um, what the hell is that guy's name? Uh, so good. It's not, it's, uh, Arthur Nascarella. Oh yeah, Doug Patrick. Yeah, I should have had Arthur Nascarella's <laughs> name, but yes, he 100% was on The Sopranos. And the the movie I will say when it when it goes full western in its last 15 minutes and turns into the gunfight at the OK Corral, I will say it loses me a little bit. I think the climax is as much as I enjoy it as a Western fan, for me, the climax and Ray Liotta sort of showing up out of nowhere and it becoming just this shootout at Harvey Keitel's house, for me, doesn't quite match up to the hour and 40 minutes that's come before it. I'm I'm much more invested in uh, this movie than I think a shootout can properly pay off. But again, that's just for me. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. The the like you said, the hour forty before is kind of this. It, it's this. Uh, uh, it's a pressure cooker, right? All this tension is building up, and <clears throat> for me, I love the shootout. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, again, you know, for me, I think it's a perfect uh, way to end it. But I hate the slow motion stuff and i i realize that's the mid 90s kind of aesthetic right, right. you know a lot of filmmakers action guys are doing this that's you know that's just what you do um but i do like ray Liotta kind of showing up out of nowhere now one thing that does drive me crazy is that <clears throat> when freddie walks superboy out of the the office the jail um and then he gets jumped by robert patrick and the sopranos guy and Robert Patrick does Please, the... it's Arthur Nascarella. We've established this. <laughs> Mr. Nas- Nascarella. Um, and Patrick does the, the most evil thing of, of shooting Freddy in his good ear. Oh, my gosh. You know, shoot... I mean, that's the worst, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, but <laughs> instead of getting in the car, Freddy stumbles after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, to me, I'm like, get in your fucking car what is the matter with you <laughs> and, you know it's little things that that really don't matter but you know on this 20th watch i was thinking you dumb dumb get in the car yeah you may be you may be deaf but you can still drive <laughs> i agree with you that the slow motion is a little bit played out um i do like the sound dropping out i do think that's effective because again that's of very cool. freddie's injury um but yeah, the the whole thing playing out in slow mo. Um, let me ask you this: Is this your favorite slash best James Mangold movie? Well, I can tell you, I have seen Heavy, I've seen Copland, and I've seen Girl Interrupted, and I've seen Kate and Leopold. <laughs> All right, so you saw the first several, four. yeah, the first yeah. four. Uh, so, and that's it. So yes, Copland. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not a superhero movie guy at all. Okay. Um, and 
everybody's like, oh, but you got to see Logan. It's not really a superhero movie. And I'm like, okay, maybe I will. <laughs> you know, if it's like, if the Blu-ray's $4, maybe I'll buy it. Yeah. But I'm I'm still going to go into Logan knowing, you know, this is an X-Men movie, and I just, I can't get past that. Okay. Uh, But I'll, I'll tell you what, even if I had have seen Wolverine and Logan and whatever else he's directed, this will be my favorite James Mangold movie. Okay. Yeah. His filmography is really interesting because for a long time, I feel like he's settled now into like just making dad movies like Ford versus Ferrari. He's just embraced his destiny is like, I'm making a movie for your father. Um, but for a long time, his filmography was kind of all over the place. And he was just one of these, not even a journeyman director, but not quite an auteur either, but he was making all kinds of different movies. So well, okay, you know, I have seen Identity, I have seen Walk the Line, and then and then that's it. Okay. Still still Copland, yes. So earlier when you said, I want to see James Mangold make a horror movie, we both forgot he made a horror movie. It was called Identity. <laughs> oh boy, that's a, that's a real stinker. I don't even hate I, that movie until the twist. See, me too, but then the twist happens, I'm like... Fuck this movie. Yeah, it definitely this movie sucks. Yeah, it fucks up because again, if you've seen like adaptation, it becomes like, well, now you're just making the movie that Charlie Kaufman was making fun of <laughs> in adaptation. But um he did his you know, he would do his he did his indie with heavy, he does his sort of adult drama with Girl Interrupted, he makes his cop movie with Copland, he makes his horror movie, he makes his biopic with identity. Or, I'm sorry, with Walk the Line, I was looking at the wrong IMDb page. And then he finally makes his proper Western with 310 to Yuma, which I really recommend if you haven't seen it. Okay. I think you'll really dig it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what my least favorite James Mangold movie is. And it's either probably Identity or Night Kate and... and Leopold. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen Kate, uh, Kate and Leopold since the day it came out, I think. <laughs> Erica Me neither. I, yeah, we saw like four movies that day. That was one of them. And I don't remember hating it at the time because it was like, well, it gets by on the charm of Meg Ryan and Hugh Jackman. Meg Ryan. Yeah. And they cut all the scenes where they're related. What? That was a whole subplot <laughs> that they were like distantly related. Ew. Because it's a time travel thing. And like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to look this up while we're talking, but night and day is unfortunately kind of this generic Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz star vehicle. And as much as I can enjoy watching the two of them on screen and kind of this breezy action comedy, there's very little about that movie to recommend it. Um, yeah. The, I, I remember when that, you know, when they announced it and the trailer came out, I remember seeing the trailer thinking, this is exactly what I imagine a Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise movie yeah. being. So I'll pass. Yeah. Um, okay. Blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now. This article is about the director's cut lasting 123 minutes. Too long for I, I a romantic comedy. The, the incest of uh, Kate and Leopold. This is the only circulating version of the film. The hastily censored theatrical cut lasting 118 minutes has completely lost its viewership since the director's cut became available. Hold on. Alternative versions. References suggesting that Kate is Stewart's great-great-grandmother were censored from the film just a few days before the theatrical release. Um, so originally she was his great-great-grandmother, and now they're fucking, which is, I don't know, hot? It's, <laughs> it's fine. Good. 
Good. Fuck your grandma. Whatever. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Uh, well, yeah. So, well, so think about. Obviously, James Mangold didn't write Kate and Leopold. Um, maybe he was a co-writer on Kate and Leopold. Well, a- after after Copland, so he he wrote um, Heavy. He wrote Copland, and then since then, I think he's been just kind of like a script fixer. Okay, you know, he's the director, so he can go in and right do his own thing. Um. But, you know, between Heavy and Copland, you know, a a lone written James Mangold script is pretty great, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, again, I need to revisit Heavy for sure. I'm excited for it to come back to Netflix. But, yeah, the screenplay for Copland is really, really solid. It manages to juggle a lot of characters, a lot of storylines, oh. uh, and it does it really well. It. I agree. And, you know, uh, I don't know. Look, just all the players that he has uh, to work with in Copland and way, you know, uh, I don't know if it's the right term, script distribution. Nobody like owns, uh, besides Sly, just because he ends up being the hero. Nobody, I would call, you know, a second lead. You know, it, it's distributed right, right. so well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the 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 storylines or the, the, the subplots are, you know, start and end where they should, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I appreciate how, how well drawn this little community is and how for as much as it represents something much bigger and it's hard to watch certain scenes when they're planting evidence on, you know, on these two black kids that they just murdered. Um, It was reminding me of, you know, we did a show on training day shortly after I feel like the murder of George, George Floyd. And it was like, well, what was I thinking? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, that's the same thing with neon badges. Like, you know, that was kind of what I put on social media that why am I doing it? Uh, you know, it's not like I'm pro cop or anything. Um, you know, I'm just talking about movies, Right. but I especially love the cop movies that show how shitty cops are or can be. Can you know? be. Yeah. Because obviously can we're, be. we're, we're shown good cops in Copland also. Uh, right. In keeping with, you know, Westerns, it, it, again, it's very much a Western where Harvey Keitel runs the town and Sly Stallone is the sort of put upon sheriff who has to stand up to him. You know, um, it's Roadhouse, basically. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's a lot of Westerns. Um, but yeah, so the the all of the sort of little details that Mangold fills in this world with all of the performances, all of the, just the stuff about Peter Berg. Yeah. Fucking Kathy Moriarty. And that, that sort of dictates what happens to his character. Um, I is really interesting and not, not necessary. Right. I mean, the movie could have gotten by without the Peter Berg character almost altogether. Um, 
Yeah, but but then I mean, just look how that ties into then you know when when uh, Annabelle, uh, Shiora, and Sly were younger and he saved right, her and right. and I mean how that all ties together. Now another thing that that kind of uh, it felt like studio notes to me. Mm. Uh, maybe uh, Harvey sneaking in, Harvey <laughs> Weinstein sneaking in here, uh, but how. Uh, they're at the bar and Ray Liotta kind of just pukes out the history between Sly and Annabelle. And, and it's like, you know what? We didn't need to hear that because we've seen all these flashbacks. We don't need to hear that. So I I felt like, okay, uh, Mangle turned in a cut of the movie and then one of the execs was like, Oh, we need to know more. We it needs to be clearer. (laughs) Right. Uh, No, it's pretty fucking clear. We see the flashbacks, (laughs) right? We know why he's deaf. We know he has a crush on her. Blah, blah, blah. It goes back to that great Hollywood maxim show and tell. (laughs) (laughs) I know executives love it. Um, yeah, that's the thing is that all of the, the inclusion of all this stuff makes for a better movie. So while you could have maybe gotten by without Peter Berg, or he could have just been Annabelle Shiora's asshole husband, um, it's a better movie because of who his character is, because of what happens to his character, because of the machinations sort of working behind the scenes of what Harvey Keitel does to him, because it kind of gets him then out of the picture and Stallone and Annabella Shiora can kind of reunite. Um, all their scenes together are really good. I think that's all of Stallone's best stuff is the stuff with her. For sure. I agree. And uh, you know, I, I also appreciate in, in, in Copland, you know, it's a redemption story where Freddie, I mean, he's not blind. He knows exactly what's happening in this town. Yeah. He's not an idiot. Yeah. Um, and he just chooses to ignore it. Uh, but then, you know, he turns it around. So, so Freddie isn't free and clear, you know, he's not just as guilty, but I mean, he's, he's a little bit guilty, you know, and you know, uh, people love a redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really strong stuff. And it's a movie that I do feel like is a little bit slept on you know it's like people remember it people remember the cast people maybe remember liking it but it doesn't get talked about the way that something like and i'm not even comparing the two movies but think about something like heat which came out two years prior and heat very much still lives on we're still talking about heat all the time tnt is still showing heat on a monthly basis (laughs) copland for some reason fell through the cracks a little bit even as james mangold's star continued to rise and even as he became you know, the director of the highest grossing R-rated movie or whatever Logan is. Um, I would have hoped that it kind of inspired people to dig back into his filmography and maybe rediscover something like Copland. I'm not sure if that's happened. Maybe it has. Yeah. I mean, if, God, if it hasn't, I mean, for goodness sake, go back and, you know, if you haven't watched this, you know, in 20 years, go back and revisit it because I mean, it's, entertaining as hell yeah it it is first and foremost a super entertaining movie it's like super watchable um and really really how how could it not be with i mean again it's all about that cast it's super stacked you you're gonna find at least you know uh, three or four people that you love in this cast yes and three of them will be janine garofalo and then everybody else is just gravy (laughs) 
It's I mean, just I, gravy. I went to the theater to see Copland for Kathy Moriarty myself. <laughs> Absolutely. While well, you were still coming off that Casper heat. <laughs> what, was she in Casper? Yeah, she's in Casper. She's the villain in Casper. I mean, you know, as much as I dislike Peter Berg, you know, I'm thinking throughout the whole movie. I mean, can you blame him, though? I mean, she is. <laughs> right. She's pretty. Yeah, no. <laughs> and we didn't know at the time in 1997 that Peter Berg would just turn into a, the director of Mark Wahlberg uh, <laughs> jingoism, you know. <laughs> well, uh my favorite theater going experience was when I went and saw very bad things with uh, three of my closest friends. And back then I, I had no idea who Peter Berg was. Um, but, you know, just, I don't know, probably within the past five years realizing, Oh my God, Peter Berg directed that movie. Holy crap. Yeah. I, I still love very bad things. I do too. And for whatever reason, I was like, crazy excited to see that movie that was one of those where i was like counting down the days until very bad things was released maybe it had a really good trailer obviously the cast was really good um but yeah i don't know that peter berg has ever made a movie that i've liked as much as very bad things i'd have really? to i'd have to look at his filmography uh to see but i mark Wahlberg, i think is in all of the rest of them so yeah yeah it's a very bad thing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been in Copland, really. He oh have... my god! Could, uh, he could have played a... low. I gave you a chance, bro, and you blew it. You blew it, bro. <laughs> oh, he kind of does play that part in The Departed, doesn't he? <laughs> he kind of like go to lunch. Go to lunch. <laughs> uh, he is awesome in The Departed. I will. Oh my god! What a what a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. I'm due for a rewatch <laughs> of that movie. Uh, anything else about Copland you want to mention? Uh, no, it's just, I mean, you know, it's like, again, it's top 20 for me. And, you know, you may laugh at that, but God damn it. I love this movie. It's a good one. Uh, well, thank you for talking about this movie with me. Besides reading two for one by, by monthly at F this movie, where can people find more of your stuff, Anthony? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at A.K. Donnelly, A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. Um, and this week, Robin Buckley and I are going to start writing a column together about musicals. I am very excited about this. I didn't realize you wrote musicals. Yeah, that. well, that's, you know... Um, I know Robin's kind of the, the musical person... Uh, you know, in the F, uh, F this movie family, but like I am a, I mean, that's other than movies like Broadway and movie musicals are my life. And yeah, I, I do write plays and musicals and I was like, I, God, I, I want to write about, you know, older musicals, but I know Robin, that's kind of her thing. So I, I, you know, messaged her one, one night I was probably drinking and I was like, <laughs> Hey, would you want to write a column together about musicals? And she's like, do you like older musicals? And I was like, uh, I only like older musicals. Oh, very nice. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to start start writing that this week. That'll be fun. That's very exciting. What is your favorite musical of all time? Um, of all time, probably Fiddler on the Roof. I've never seen it. I'm a terrible person. 
Oh my gosh, you know, uh, Norman Jewison is, he might be a Mount Rushmore director for me, um, just because of all the freaking masterpieces he's made. Um, but I mean, that, the movie Fiddler is a masterpiece, and I cannot recommend that more enough. Uh, but, you know, I love all the iterations that have been on Broadway. Um, I have all the cast albums, but yeah, man, I, I, I never tire of Fiddler on the Roof. This is why I hope people listen to this movie, because what starts out as a discussion of Copland will inevitably become <laughs> a conversation about Fiddler on the Roof and maybe Casper. I mean, maybe. <laughs> that, when people are like, hey, you're the, you're the cop movies guy, right? And I was like, well, yeah, but I love Broadway musicals. <laughs> and like, excuse me? <laughs> You're joking, right? No, I'm I'm quite serious. I love Broadway. Is there a, a modern movie musical that you really like? Um, no. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Chicago, you know, is is fine. I guess. I remember liking Chicago, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's God bless her heart, but Renee Zellweger. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's another miramax movie so oh damn it yeah yeah they really fucked everything up Jeez. yeah it's a bummer anyway well thank you for talking about copland thanks for being on the show super fun to talk to you very happy to be here and uh remember everybody go to fthismovie.com every day like and subscribe and follow us uh on itunes or i guess apple podcasts i keep calling it itunes because i can't get that out of my head but it's apple podcasts spotify google podcasts wherever you listen to your audio entertainment you can follow us on twitter at f this movie uh like us on facebook or email us at f this movie podcast at gmail.com thanks again anthony go to lunch Thanks for listening to FS Movie.